0: This episode is presented by Wild Dunes Resort. A resort unlike any other, Wild Dunes offers something for everyone. Award-winning golf, tennis, pickleball, and sparkling pools, delicious on-site dining, and memorable outdoor adventures. Located just outside Charleston in beautiful Isle of Palms, South Carolina, Wild Dunes offers 36 holes of signature golf designed by Tom Fazio. The Lynx course was Fazio's first solo design and is still among his favorites today. From the rustling palms lining the rolling fairways to a finishing hole overlooking the glistening Atlantic, the Lynx course is South Carolina golf at its finest. The Harbor Course, another of Fazio's gems known for its challenging design, beautiful views, and most of all, water. From lagoons and salt marshes to the intracoastal waterway, this course will test all aspects of your game. Whether it's an afternoon golf outing or a week-long excursion, you will enjoy every minute of your golf vacation at Wild Dunes Resort. Learn more about Wild Dunes at wilddunes.com. Welcome back to the Links Golf Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Al Lunsford, joined by Joe Passoff. Joe, today uh, we're right in the middle betwixt in between two match play competitions. Uh, Solheim Cup just happened as of this episode airing. Ryder Cup week is upon us. And we like to talk about courses and their merits and what have you. So why not do a topic that Joe, you yourself have approached a couple of times in the past. uh, One that always stirs up conversation. We're talking Ryder cup courses, uh, the best and the worst, you know, not necessarily bad courses, but if you're going to make a list, someone has to be at the top, someone has to be at the bottom. So, so Joe, How have you approached this exercise in the past?
1: Well, it's a fair assessment, Al. Um, I think as long as you get great players competing for the highest stakes possible, and I mean, the nerves are massive on that first tee, no matter what the quality of the golf course is, you're going to have a great competition. But some courses just work better than others for bringing out the best in the best, especially when you have... A match play format and B, that bizarre foursomes format, meaning the alternate shot format, which we never see on any of the tours all year long, other than when we get to the Ryder Cup. So, you know, some courses just work better than others for that reason. And in thinking about what makes up the very best Ryder Cup courses, and yes, with a nod to the ones at the bottom. Um, what do I look for? You know, it's easy to go look at past Ryder Cups and say, wow, what a great match. You know, it was 14 and a half to 13 and a half. And and you elevate the quality of the golf course just because of the match was so good. But trying to look at it a little bit objectively, um, I think I think I looked at it with uh maybe five or six different criteria. So one is design merit, obviously. Um, Who designed the golf course? What kind of terrain is there? What kind of test does it present? And then secondarily, what kind of match play test does it present, especially in risk reward options? It's also helpful just to have a good tournament pedigree. I think we get a little more excited about a famous course adding to its own lore. Uh, and that does not include this year's site, Marco Simone, outside of Rome in Italy, which has only hosted uh, an Italian Open or two in its present form, and not much else. I mean, people just don't know much about this golf course. So uh, maybe uh, golf course rankings, you know, kind of closer to the bottom than the top of the criteria. But again, tournament pedigree, course rankings, just are we talking about the blue bloods, the true greats that you just warm to every time a U.S. Open, a PGA uh, and or Ryder Cup comes to a place like that. Obviously, character, ambiance, you know, the intangibles that come from setting or weather or terrain and so forth. Um, And then, yeah, when you look in hindsight, that rearview mirror, what kind of excitement did that golf course present during the Ryder Cup or cups that it hosted? So factoring all of those elements together, I think that's what we wind up with. What's the best of the best Ryder Cup courses? And uh what's uh what's bottom of the barrel?
0: Yeah, I think when you when you talk about it and you say the best Ryder Cup courses, you're not saying, okay, let's look at the where these are on the course rankings, and that's our list. It's not just the best courses and how they're they're ranked among amongst lists uh of just their their general merit of the course itself. You have to take into some consideration the events that have happened there in the past and then the Ryder Cup competition itself, uh, how, how things went uh, when it was there. So, yeah, and then at the end of that, right, it's not bad golf courses, but someone, again, has to be at the bottom for one reason or another. I don't think you can argue that a a Ryder Cup has been contested on a bad course. It just may not have produced the level of excitement or been exciting enough in itself as a design uh, as compared to some of the other ones on the list or most. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think there are some right Al. I think some Ryder Cup courses have yielded terrific Ryder Cup matches, but actually we're better suited as U.S. Open or PGA courses, especially the classic courses with a whole bunch of long, tough par fours with a lot of rough where you say, who can put the ball into play? Who can hit the green and two putt? And par is a good score. Whereas in match play, that's irrelevant. It really is. Uh, it's who scores lowest, not who matches par. And risk-rewards are much more exciting for match play, and that's how I look at it in assessing the best of the best and maybe the also-rans.
0: We'll find out a thing or two about Marco Simone uh, this week at the Ryder Cup. Uh, The world is going to find out a lot about that place because little is known. If you want a little bit of a primer on the course, golf in Italy as well. If you're a subscriber to Lynx, you will have gotten your fall issue by now. You can also go to our website, LinksMagazine.com, read our story on golf in Italy to give you a little prep for the flavor you're going to have at the Ryder Cup this week. Uh, but we'll circle back around at some point to to the events of this week and how this Italian course stood up. But let's talk about what we already know. Uh, the rest of the courses that have hosted the Ryder Cups, and one sticks out in particular for you as the cream of the crop, Joe.
1: Well, if this next week we are talking about Italian sausage, the course I'm going to bring up today is all about bratwurst. Yep. Through August of 2021, I kind of had five favorites, but after September of 2021, I had a clear favorite, head and shoulders above all the other Ryder Cup courses. And that is whistling straights. I know it's easy to look back and say, oh, it was just last time and the Americans scored a spectacular win. No, that had nothing. To, the result had nothing to do with how I felt about the golf course. It had everything to do with whistling straights and the opportunities that it offered people with different styles of play Different looks, choices, options, risks, rewards. Uh, Whistling Straits came through for me and passed every test. Flying colors. Um, you know, the first uh, uh, item that we talked about is design merit. Okay, so yeah, Whistling Straits is ranked very high. Heat dies classic along Lake Michigan, or as the caddies call it, the Sea of Wisconsin. And uh, you know, it's it's a marvelous test we we understand that but the way it was set up and the way the players executed during the Ryder cup i mean it was just so much fun you had so many individually memorable holes that overlooked the lake and that were framed by i, I mean bunkers up every single side of every fairway plus mounds tall shaggy sandhills with fescues waving around really severe slopes if you missed a target oftentimes so what was going on out there i mean you had some short par fours uh like the 364 yard first hole which uh bryson DeChambeau drove sank a 41 41 foot putt for eagle on sunday well done bryson um and the 355-yard sixth hole, where three woods could get you to the green. And then you have those monster par fours, which sometimes needed hybrids just to reach the green, which is pretty rare these days. Uh, All three par fives that were set up on the course allowed for eagle opportunities. And yet, at least a dozen shots were hit into the water or those really nasty penal bunkers so that's risk reward at its finest. Hey, we're gonna give you a chance to go for it. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll bring up Mr. Deschambeau again. Uh like in the uh Friday afternoon. Uh he got the DeChambeau got the win that he got in the practice round, hammered his drive uh at the par five fifth over a Quagmire of bunkers, hit it 417 yards left him 72 to the hole and made an easy eagle three and yet yeah like i said a dozen shots hit into the water or those penal bunkers so just so much could happen on almost every single hole and that goes for the par threes as well you had those brutes that sat next to the lake uh like the two hundred twenty-one yard seventh and then the 17th my favorite like could play 249 yards. But when Colin Morikawa hit that shot just to the right of the green, took a little soft bounce off the mound there and trickled up to like tap-in range on a hold that long and that hard. But if you hit the right shot, you're rewarded. So first glance, that's unfair. 250-yard par three, water and a steep slope left, huge mounds right. Uh, well, Colin, Colin Morikawa somehow hit it to three feet. That is awesome to me. So, you know, when you break that up for whistling straights, I mean, you know, that's that's what I'm I'm looking at uh, as far as excellence in a Ryder Cup course, because it allowed the best to bring out their best, even if you had to take some pretty big risks. So. With that, I'll leave it to you. The greens were were cut fair, uh, speed and and everything else. Uh, the rough was manageable, even though you had those gnarly fescues. But uh, all right, that's number one, Al Whistling Straits, the twenty twenty one host.
0: Yeah, that course doesn't have you don't have to do much to it for it to show its teeth in certain places. So from a setup standpoint, you kind of just let the the golf course speak for itself. Uh, it's a place that, you know, Ireland in the Midwest. So people going into the competition were thinking, well, this is a American course that distinctly might favor the Europeans is what I remember. A lot of the, the chatter being, um, what we didn't know is that the opposite would happen. And the Americans flat out dominated that competition. I know what, if someone were, were to argue with you, Joe, and maybe they say, you know, recency bias, like you said, and just hosted the last Ryder Cup. Um, one of the things that makes Whistling Straight so good when you talk about those risk and reward opportunities is it's penchant for half par holes, and that's where the setup kind of goes into it, uh, where you have a a shorter par five that plays more like a four and a half. Um, presents you an option to uh, go or to lay back and, and play the safe route. Um, It seems like I remember one of those par fives uh, people, maybe you talked about it, just people kept dunking and dunking and into the the water short of the green early on the front nine. Um, But then you also have a, you know, short par four. That's like a three and a half or a long par four. That's like a four and a half where, um, you mentioned people having hybrids into one of the longer par fours and you know, that's where a bogey might be good enough to get you a, a have at a hole because of how challenging it is. So uh, lots of variety, an interesting place that's hosted major championships. We love to see the setting on Lake Michigan and you know, everything about whistling Straits was positive, I think. Um that's why it's hard not to put it at the top of the list. And um, you mentioned you had five other favorites. So if nothing else on whistling Straits, what what else was in consideration for the top and what do you consider to be the the best? If you had five more to talk about.
1: Yeah. uh, One has a name in common because the second one was named in homage for it. The first one is Muirfield in Scotland. And, Muirfield inspires, it's it's a lynx course, it's seaside, but it inspires in a completely different way than whistling straits. I mean, Pete Dye injected so much drama from scratch into Whistling Straits. Whereas Muirfield is just so solid, so difficult, uh, but so solid. It'll be back on the open rota. Uh, it's hosted 15 open championships, and now that Women are gracing the membership roster. It will host again. And uh, there's so many great, great players who rank Muirfield among their top three courses. From Gary Player to Nick Faldo, uh, when it hosted the 1973 Ryder Cup, they played more matches in those days. Jack Nicholas paired twice with Arnold Palmer and twice with reigning Open champion Tom Weisskopf. Those are pretty formidable teams in 1973 and the U S won 19 to 13. But again, Muirfield, because it has the two, uh, routings and one, nine goes clockwise, the other counterclockwise, you get different winds. So it's not all just out and back in the same wind. You have a reachable par five, no matter what the wind is and at least one or two that won't be, uh, set apart threes you know there's just absolutely tremendous or you do not want to be in those fronting bunkers or even the side hill bunker uh that that gives you a really tough explosion and so how close do you dare go for a whole location that sets somewhere near uh those nasty bunkers so the risk rewards aren't as visually impressive uh, as they are at Whistling Straits, but effectively, they play very similar. So Scotland's Muirfield is right there at the top of my list, and so is Ohio's Muirfield Muirfield Village. Uh, it wasn't so great for the U.S. in 1987, even though Jack Nicholas, who built the course in his old hometown of Columbus, Ohio, and he was captain of the team. And they still couldn't get it done against the Europeans. But as a golf course, whether it's a stroke play test or a match play test, Nicholas's homage, it was named for Muirfield, where he won the 66 Open Championship, but it was really his homage to Augusta National. A number of holes are quite similar-looking to their counterparts at Augusta, such as the Par 3 uh, such as the Par four eighteenth, But you have risk rewards that are also up to Augusta nationals level two at Muirfield village and the par four 14th, one of the greatest short par fours in golf pond front, right. Of the green hillside back left. How close do you dare get to the green or even try to drive it. And then that reachable par five, right after that at 15, pretty narrow, but doable. If you've got the, the guts to let one out off that tee box and then, you know, very reachable. But again, if you miss super tough up and down, you see a lot of sixes and sevens on a short par five for guys that, you know, fail, uh, especially on the second shot. So those are the next two that come to mind and uh, that common denominator of a sort.
0: Yeah. Well, Muirfield, obviously on this list, of the ones we talked about, of, of any that we'll talk about, is considered the highest-ranked course that's ever hosted the Ryder Cup. So, obviously, pretty legendary place, uh, host to a lot of Open Championships, and you get all those factors together, uh, you're going to have something memorable, hard not to be a, a part of the, the best of the best on this list. When I looked it up, it was in the world seventh or eleventh and anywhere in between right now. So um so yeah Muirfield in Scotland very good. Muirfield in Ohio uh it's the only one I'm looking at your list so I'm cheating a little bit because I know what all of the the five and six are at the very top. That's the only one that hasn't hosted a major championship as a part of all those um at the top, but we know it from hosting the memorial tournament from 1976 on. So it also hosted this the eighty seven Ryder Cup, where what you just de- described went down. So uh, but unfortunately, couldn't get a win for the US.
1: Couldn't get a win. Uh Bufield Village also has hosted the US Amateur. Mm-hmm. I believe Justin Leonard was the winner there in 92 and hosted the Solheim cup, which I covered while at links magazine in 1998. I think that was when that happened. So, you know, it's, it is one of those tournament venues and, um, you know, does it deserve a PGA or a U.S. Open? I mean, maybe. It's probably a little overkill, so to speak. But then they go back to Riviera for majors. So um, I don't know. Uh, something tells me that's that's Jack's greatest tournament course. It would be nice to get a major championship, but um, it's hosted everything else and done it beautifully. So those are the next two on my best of the best Ryder Cup courses list.
0: It's cool and you have familiarity at least like what a big time tournament, whether it's a major or not has been there. Uh, you like to see then when the a match play competition comes there. Uh, in the case of Muirfield Village it's hosted the Ryder Cup and President's Cup um, but it's it's fun to see how how different things go when you have the different scenarios that occur in match play.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: This episode is presented by Wild Dunes Resort. A resort unlike any other, Wild Dunes offers something for everyone. Award-winning golf, tennis, pickleball, and sparkling pools, delicious on-site dining, and memorable outdoor adventures. Located just outside Charleston in beautiful Isle of Palms, South Carolina, Wild Dunes offers 36 holes of signature golf designed by Tom Fazio. The Lynx course was Fazio's first solo design and is still among his favorites today. From the rustling palms lining the rolling fairways to a finishing hole overlooking the glistening Atlantic, the Lynx course is South Carolina golf at its finest. The Harbor Course, another of Fazio's gems known for its challenging design, beautiful views, and most of all, water. From lagoons and salt marshes to the intracoastal waterway, this course will test all aspects of your game. Whether it's an afternoon golf outing or a week-long excursion, you will enjoy every minute of your golf vacation at Wild Dunes Resort, Learn more about Wild Dunes at wilddunes.com. So, Joe, the three others that round out our list at the very top, uh, the ocean course at Kiowa, uh, host of the war by the shore in 1991. Uh, You've got the country club at Brookline, obviously 1999. Uh, The aforementioned Justin Leonard is probably the most memorable moment of that for a lot of people. For others, it's the shirts that they were wearing at the time, but a storied venue in its own right. And um, Royal Birkdale, which is is interesting, is considered one of the best Open Championship venues, if not the best, uh, by some. Uh, And that notably was the site of the first tie in Ryder Cup history, uh, the concession between Jack Nicklaus and who was the other one that was part of that? Um, Tony Jacklin, Tony Jacklin. Yeah. Uh, so first tie, obviously that makes for a great Ryder cup venue because it produced the most evenly matched, uh, match possible. Um, however, we'll see the flip side of that. in later in our conversation, cause there was another tie later down the line, uh, in the Ryder cup, but, uh, not quite as, uh, you know, handshake good on you type of tie. Uh, But, Joe, of those last three, the Ocean Course, uh, I think, could have been at the top of this list as well uh, because every shot at the Ocean Course matters. You are never out of a hole there. uh, seeing, Seeing it from a match play perspective, you need to find the fairway off the tee or you're in trouble. You need to find the green on your approach or you're in trouble. And so, things just kind of happen wacky things we've seen in the Ryder Cup guys you would expect to be on their game finding themselves in precarious situations and when it gets windy like it did in 1991 when the Ryder Cup was first played or the only time the Ryder Cup was played at the Ocean Course uh anybody's ball game and it's just the the teeth that come out of this course uh produced Thrilling results. I would love to see the Ryder Cup go back to Kiowa. It's been fun to see the PGA Championship there, but that course is, is as much of a you know, shot-makers, uh, but also throw everything out the window if the wind is crazy kind of course.
1: Well said, Al. I That was my first Ryder Cup I ever covered. It was an incredible experience. The wind was howling uh, the competition was insane. We were in the midst of the Gulf War patriotism thing, a lot of hooting and hollering, and in, in a militaristic kind of way sometimes, spectators, even some of the U.S. players, were wearing caps that depicted heavy U.S. pride kind of thing. Well, nobody on the European side was having that, uh, especially Sevi Ballesteros, And uh, it was just fantastic drama. I agree that this course could be ranked alongside Whistling Straits at the top. I also think that its image has almost been rehabilitated by the fact that it was so hard. It was brand new in 1991. There were players that predicted that nobody would break par because it was so hard had it been a stroke play venue. And I think. Over the years, Eat Dye and the Kiowa folks softened some of the features a little bit, made it more playable for all golfers and, and still plenty difficult. You could take it back to 7,800 yards. Where I think the difference is, is that you don't have as much built-in visual drama as you do at Whistling Straits, meaning this is a low-lying lynx next to the sea And everything kind of tumbles along in understated fashion, whereas Whistling Straits sits high above the lake. So you get those dramatic elevated views, which just, man, your eyes go wide and the jaw goes slack. Whereas Kiowa, you're down in it. So as a test of shot making for these players, the best in the world, it may be without peer. Because some of the shots have to be played with low trajectory to compensate for the wind. But because it's pallum's surface, because we're in the Southeast, the grass has got to be able to thrive, it's kind of sticky. So you can see when it's played in August, like when Rory ripped it to shreds back in 2012, okay, it's gettable. But then when Phil Mickelson won, Played in May and it was firm and fast and six under was the winning total. I think maybe it's one under Uh, whatever the winning total was. There weren't many players under par. And I thought this is one of the greatest major championship venues I've ever seen. So, yep, long winded way of saying, gosh, the Ryder Cup at Kiowa, the war by the shore in 1991, put the Ryder Cup on the map. For the sporting collective consciousness in the United States, why don't we take a Ryder Cup back there? It deserves another
0: one. 100%. Minus six. You were right on it. Phil Mickelson's winning score in uh, 2021 at Kiwa. Any further elaboration on the country club or or Burkdale?
1: Well, the Country Club, again, was another course that sort of rehabilitated itself with a different tournament, meaning the U.S. Open of 2022. Uh, The Ryder Cup itself was phenomenal. One of the great all-time Ryder Cups, especially if you're a U.S. fan, Justin Leonard, of course. And then if you're a fashion fan, you weren't as happy with, uh, as you mentioned, Al, these shirts chosen by... Captain Ben Crenshaw.
0: They're coming back around, trust me.
1: (laughs) Unbelievable comeback, whether for those shirts or at that Ryder Cup. So many interesting captains' decisions on who to play, when to play them, um, and then huge moments that took place there. On a golf course that didn't necessarily lend itself, in my mind, to great match play risk-reward situations, But one way or the other, it produced really, really spirited individual matches and uh, proved to be a huge winner. And then when Matthew Fitzpatrick dueled uh, the other people he was dueling with last year to win the U.S. Open. And some of us are like scratching our heads. How is this golf course that's so short playing this tough? The rough didn't seem unfair. The greens didn't seem unduly Firm slash fast. It just apparently was able to provide a complete test and uh, it did so with that Ryder cup. So it kind of re elevated itself in my mind as one of the great Ryder cup golf courses.
0: Yeah. Anytime you're, and then, so, I was going to say, anytime you ahead. get the, a Ryder cup that is known by some sort of nickname. So war by the shore battle of Brookline, you could go, Miracle at Medina too, even though Medina's not at the top of our, our list here, but that's a, the sign of a really memorable event.
1: Definitely. Yeah. I, uh, I wish I had been uh, clever enough to coin th- those uh, terms, but uh, somebody was, and they made for great headlines. Now the final choice uh, among the elite for me, the top six Ryder cup courses, again, we mentioned earlier Royal Burkdale in England, Uh, Much better known for hosting a bunch of open championships, Uh, maybe nine, maybe 10. It seems like they produce great winners over and over. Not that that's the deciding factor, but the real good players seem to play well there. And partly it's because it's probably the fairest of all of the great championship links on the open road Meaning there's towering sand hills there, but there's almost no blind shots. Most of the holes play between the sandhills and not over them. So you get the wind, uh, you get the challenge, you get length out there, but you can pretty much see straight ahead what's what's coming and be able to plot your course accordingly. And um, yeah, it's it's one of the top-ranked courses in the world. It was the site of the concession. 1969, 1616 tie, Jack Nicholas looking at Tony Jacqueline, who needed about a three and a half foot putt, and said, Pick it up, Tony. You weren't gonna miss that. And we got the Ryder Cup. Sam Sneed, not happy with Jack Nicholas for making that gesture, but um, you know, Sam was pretty stubborn in his own right. Jack is in a stubborn category all by himself, and he went for sportsmanship. And the world is not only grateful for that, I think in the spirit of a competition like that, but we're having another event in December at the concession that's honoring some of the great players, and uh, we'll talk about it at some point.
0: Well, if I'm not mistaken, when Jack gives the putt, and they tie, the U.S. retained the cup. So it was not as if they were in a losing scenario. They they either retained or they win the cup. So it's in the U.S.'s hands, you know, by technicality, either way. But, man, how great do you look by the sportsmanship element of, you know, hey, you know, all's fair here. Uh, We'll just keep the cup for now. We can tie the competition really memorable, obviously. And there's a course in Florida now called the concession, uh, named after that moment. And, um, when you talked about the, the winners at Royal Birkdale's and an invariable who's who of open championship winners, Spieth, Padraig Harrington, Marco Mira, IBF, Ian Baker, Finch, uh, Watson, Johnny Miller, Lee Trevino, Peter Thompson, twice, and Arnold Palmer. So, uh, big things happen at Royal Birkdale, including Ryder Cups. Now, before we go to the very end here uh, and talk about some of the worst, was there anything on the cusp for you that could have made their way into that best conversation? And and we can just mention them. You don't really have to go into much detail here. Um, but what else is right there for you?
1: Al, I think there were a handful that came close that just didn't make the elite per se. Uh one of them would be Pinehurst number two. Uh again, not particularly dramatic looking. It hosted the 1951 Ryder Cup, which was uh just about a whitewash for the US, nine and a half to two and a half. But because of the core Crenshaw restoration and the fact that it's playing like it used to, uh, you know makes it very compelling where again the risk rewards aren't framed by sharp edges or water but rather almost by hole locations and how do you how much do you dare try to get close and then risk slipping off another one of those greens into a shortcut area where you've got a really tough recovery so uh just that setting is one that i like i thought hazeltine national um, for all the duff that it took for all its redesigns over the years. Um, and it was set up very easy for the 2016 Ryder Cup. But you know what? Um, the risk reward par fives, that cool par four jutting out in the green into the peninsula, there were some great risk reward aspects going on there too. And the guys rewarded us with birdie after birdie after birdie. So uh, if I had to pick two, those would probably be the two that jumped to mind as the closest. For sheer greatness, based on rankings, I mean, you have Walton Heath, where maybe the greatest American Ryder Cup team of all beat Europe pretty badly in 1981. Um, Litham and St. Anne's uh, hosted two Ryder Cups and multiple Open Championships. Ridgewood Country Club in New Jersey, benefiting from a recent Gillhans restoration of the AW Tillinghast Hosted the 1935 Ryder Cup. Fabulous golf course, excellent tournament venue, but they don't crack my elite list of the top six.
0: The others I think that you didn't mention that you could probably make a case for play better now than they did when they hosted the Ryder Cup also have similar names Oak Hill and Oakland Hills, both benefiting um, Oakland Hills from Gil Hands, Oak Hill. Uh, as we saw at the last PGA at the hands of Andrew Green. So um, when they hosted the Ryder Cup, maybe not quite at the level they are uh, now. And it probably would have been a better Ryder Cup had they uh, been played today.
1: You're right, Al. And and that's a topic we're getting into, maybe we've touched on, is courses I feel are, say, better suited for US Open or PGA championships than they are for match play Ryder Cup venues. Uh, and Oak Hill East, Oakland Hill South, both fit that category for me. However, after the restorations, Andrew Green, of course, at Oak Hill, Hance, at Oakland Hills um, I do definitely offer more options, which is that much more fun for match play.
0: So our worst Ryder Cup courses, Joe, again, none of these being bad golf courses, but they're at the bottom of this list because of, you know, not being memorable in the design, the competition, uh, lacking the real risk-reward challenges that a lot of these other courses present, an unmemorable type of setting, uh, just kind of plain dull uh, and forgettable. So um, let's run through a, a few of these and and what would be the the worst. And then at the end of the episode... We're going to talk about some of the places that are on the docket for future Ryder Cups. But what's at the bottom, Joe?
1: Well, with all those labels and adjectives that you used, Al, you depicted perfectly a course in England called the Belfry. Yes, the Brabazon course at the Belfry, um, host of four Ryder Cups and I mean significant Ryder Cups because they were in the modern era when we all cared about the Ryder Cup, why did the Belfry, essentially a resort course in the middle of England, just north of Birmingham, get four Ryder Cups? Well, at the time, it was home to the British Professional Golfers Association. And those are the folks that put on the Ryder Cup on behalf of Great Britain and Ireland and then ultimately Europe. So that's why they got one Ryder Cup, let alone four Ryder Cups. And what did we get as a golf course to watch these four Ryder Cups? Um, There were some very good Ryder Cup matches played there, especially the 1993 match uh, that, that ended in really dramatic fashion on the 18th hole. 1989 was a great bit of drama as well, but partly because they went down to the 18th hole because actually there were two holes out of 18 that were even remotely memorable. I mean, it was laid out over an old potato field and it looked like it. Uh, The golf holes, almost none of them had much maturity about them, almost no memorability, kind of boring bunkers. What you had was the 10th hole, a drivable par four, with a pond uh, fronting the green front right. And, okay, where are we going to set up the T-blocks that day? And that's up to the captain, the host captain. And who's going to go for it and who's not going for it? That was magic. Every single time it was interesting, except for once when I want to say it was Sam Torrens, decided to move the T-markers so far back that nobody could attempt to drive the green in 2002, and that was an attempt to mitigate the American's power. And all that did was turning turn an exciting hole into a really, really dull hole. And then 18 was sort of your big 460-yard par 4, whatever it was, uh, again, with water on the left. Uh, we've seen 5,000 holes in the U.S. that compare to it and are better, but it just happened to be the finishing hole and uh the other 16 holes i mean i challenge just about any golf course connoisseur out there to say oh yeah that's a good hole that's a memorable hole that was really well designed um no disrespect understand it's not a bad golf course but in terms of ryder cup status elite golf courses good heavens had a decent hotel <laughs> you could go stay there and play there home of the british pga and uh That's about all that uh, the Belfry had going for it, Al. That makes my worst of the worst.
0: Yeah, and yet it hosted the Ryder Cup four times, right? So uh, you would think by 2002, the last time it hosted, things would be a little bit more memorable, but we're sitting here today and don't really have anything to to go with there other than a couple of holes. And what are the odds, Joe? I referenced it earlier earlier that the first tie in the Ryder Cup was at Royal Birkdale involving Tony Jacklin with Jack Nicklaus. The second tie of two is 1989 at the Belfry with a European team captained by Tony Jacklin. But the U.S. did have to win the last four singles matches on the course to make that happen. And this time, Europe retained the cup. Uh, but it was a tie there at the Belfry. Uh, still not enough to make our list. Uh, at the top. In fact, it's all the way down to the bottom.
1: It made made the list at the bottom.
0: That's right. <laughs> what else you got here for worst?
1: Well, okay. You know, I'm not going to be maybe uh, as mean spirited about these others because macabre. Um, yeah, they're they're all. These other golf courses on our on our list that are, you know, kind of in the bottom five are all worthy plays. Uh, Again, though, when you're critiquing the 36 or 37 different golf courses that have hosted the Ryder Cup, something's got to fall to the bottom. And next on my list, not to pick on that part of the world, but would be the 2010 course at Celtic Manor in Wales. So why did Celtic Manor... And Wales get the Ryder Cup. Well, part of the UK, they had never had a Ryder Cup. There had been some good Welsh golfers, especially Ian Woosnam, a stalwart of many Ryder Cup teams. So Wales deserved at least a Ryder Cup. Um, but again, there was a wealthy benefactor, Sir Terry Matthews, who owned the resort and said, Here, British PGA, let's work a deal uh we will redesign this golf course this robert trent jones golf course that we have trent jones jr i should say um with european golf design and um and we'll make it into a spectator friendly worthy test for the Ryder cup and that's that's what they did the the original golf course there was called wentwood hills and the european tour decided uh, that it didn't want spectators and players dealing with nine of the Hillier holes. So the in-house design team from the European Tour created nine new holes, one through five, 14, and then 16 through 18. And then they kept the Robert Trent Jones Jr. holes, six through 13, and number 15. But what you wound up with is an American Parkland-style golf course, bunch of lakes, handsome setting in the usk valley and and honestly risk reward opportunities throughout but just too many holes that looked like they were airlifted from florida that was you know that's what i had with it um one what should have been great risk reward hole par four on the back nine uh maybe 15 but instead they set it up to where It wasn't risk reward, you had to go for it. There was just no legitimately good place to lay up. And so let's just go for it, which then why don't you call it a par three? So 18 was a little weird for my taste too. Um, Par five, green on the other side of a lake, but a huge slope down to the lake, which meant you had to lay way back for a flatter lie or else have a downhill lie to an uphill green. And we know how much fun those are. So still a must play when you're traveling in that part of the world as a test of golf for its inland scenery, but uh, not, not one of the better Ryder cup courses.
0: Yeah. I don't um, remember a ton from that 2010 Ryder cup to be perfectly honest with you. It was a tight one, I guess, but Not much about the course.
1: Yeah, that was the one that had to finish on the Monday because the weather was so bad. And, of course, I think what happened was, uh, that's most memorable, is the final singles match between Graham McDowell and Hunter Mahan. And Hunter Mahan kind of stubbed a chip, and McDowell sank a big putt, and that, that put them over for the win.
0: Now I know that there's a couple of well-known places that might be at the bottom of the list for one for one reason or another. But uh let's let's close it out. Let's mention a couple more and then we'll talk about the the future of the competition.
1: Okay. I'll be really quick on these, Al, uh, and I don't even need to mention all all of the ones that are in the you know, the bottom compartment, but a couple are are pretty humorous. The 1957 match, Lindrick Golf Club in Nottingham, England, I I remember researching this and uh, the wonderful Ryder Cup book that our colleague Jim Frank did with David Faraday. And this short inland parkland course is twice crossed by roads and was picked on the strength of one quality, according to David Faraday, quote, a rich benefactor. So Lindrick uh, never really jumps up into anybody's top 100 or top 200, but they got a Ryder cup for that reason. I like that
0: money. Talks. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then I've got two more that are within 10 minutes of each other and I'll close it out with that. The United States had a few, uh, you know, not so great entries as well into this and they're both out in Palm Springs. This is a time in the 1950s where, and not a lot of interest in the Ryder Cup, to be fair, because the U.S. would dominate and it wasn't on television and nobody much cared. But I'll mention these anyway. The uh, The first one I have to mention will be Thunderbird Country Club in Rancho Mirage, California, the Palm Springs, 1955 match, the first championship layout in Palm Springs. Uh, 1951 is when it opened. Beautiful mountain scenery and a nice membership full of celebrities from LA. But it was taken to task by the great Herbert Warren Wind in a 1955 Sports Illustrated preview article as he remarked about its, quote, extremely flat fairways. He further noted that, quote, distances can be most deceiving when there are so few hillocks and swales punctuating the course's 6,843 playing yards. Yeah, that adds up to a snooze fest, and uh, it's it's no reason the actual match was a snooze. However, uh, I'm not going to leave Thunderbird by itself when it has its near neighbor, El Dorado Country Club in Palm Desert, which hosted the Ryder Cup the next time it was back in the United States in 1959. Also designed by a gent named Lawrence Hughes, it was only two years old at Ryder Cup time, and it looked as immature as it played. Resort-style palm trees, shallow bunkers. A further quirk involved the course setup as players practiced from the tips but found the tees moved up to the front of the boxes when the competition started, presumably to promote birdies. So. It was, you know, again, beautiful mountain vistas and uh, completely redesigned, by the way, by Tom Fazio in in 2003. But uh, I also have to make special mention of uh, the 59 Ryder Cup match where. And that's that one where um, apparently the players had to go practice in and around member play. That's how significant, quote unquote, the Ryder Cup was in those days. So the members had their tee times and then for the practice rounds where the Ryder cup players could be accommodated. Excuse us. Yep. Thank you. Right. Playing through. So, um, little different these days. Sure. But, um, yeah, uh, I can't, can't spare the U S either with uh, a couple of courses that probably would never have been on the modern Ryder cup list.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned Fazio, you said, right. Uh, redid El Dorado. Um, some years ago, and then I know I remember seeing Thunderbird in the news because that was redone recently. As oh, well, Trip Davis, yeah, Trip Davis
1: did a nice job with
0: that. Friend of ours has been on the podcast before as well, so um, likely those those courses are, are in better shape than they were in the 1950s. But um, nonetheless, and
1: and again, perfectly pleasant, wonderful golf courses for the memberships. As for Ryder Cup courses, different story.
0: Well, the Ryder Cup is heading uh, to Italy, as we know, this year. Uh, Next year, not next year, 2025, uh, when it comes back to the United States, uh, it is slated for Bethpage Black. 2027, Adair Manor in Ireland. Nice Parkland design. Uh, 2029 back to Hazeltine, familiar territory. Gets another Ryder Cup there. Then we don't have a course for 2020, 2031 yet. 33 in the U.S. at Olympic Club, the Lake Course. 35 unfilled in Europe as well. 37 Congressional Blue. So we know where it's going in the United States for the next four times the US gets the host only two of the the european venues i guess just one uh of the future ones since we're already in in rome but uh we only know a dare manner on the european rider cup side what say you about that lineup joe uh
1: what i say about that lineup Alice, i wish i were a little more excited about the prospects to come over the next 15 years um uh, it's actually a pedigreed list of golf courses, uh, unquestionably. Bethpage Black, one of our greatest tests of golf, purely public. Kind of love that for the Ryder Cup and the spirit that goes with the competition and all the fans. Uh, I see that, though, as a much better U.S. Open kind of golf course or PGA kind of golf course with hard holes versus option-laden risk-reward holes. I'm sure it'll still be a spirited terrific competition but would rather see it host another major say than the Ryder Cup. dare Manor um incredible amounts of money have been spent for Tom Fazio to redo that golf course, lovely small hotel right on the property, easy airport access for fans and officials and players, uh about a half an hour from Shannon. And uh, again, it's inland. Now, everything is sub-air. Everything is groomed to Augusta National, you know, perfection. But is that what we look for in a Ryder Cup course? No. No, we look for interesting holes that make a guy go, do I want to go for this or not? You know, well, I'm too up on this guy. What do I do now? And there just really aren't that many holes at Adair Manor that ask for those sorts of things, even as it's a spectacular place. No question about it. Uh, Where are we going after that, Al? Uh, Oh, Hazeltine. Hazeltine. Who knows? Davis Love III, Davis Love's design company, is going to apparently redo what Reese Jones had redone from what his father had done. So it's an unknown quantity. I still felt it was a good Ryder Cup course, and the Minnesota fans were fantastic. It was a great environment there in 2016. What I prefer... The rider kept to go back to Kiowa ahead of Hazeltine? Yes. But we shall see how Davis Love and Love Golf Course Designs tweaks or remakes this golf course and, and where it comes. So 31, we're still missing. 33, Olympic Club Lake Course. See my comments for Beth Page Black. Better major championship course than a match play course. It has hosted significant match play events such as the US Amateur. Um, but it's just a lot of long, tough par fours for the most part. And, you know, you only have one fairway bunker. Now, Gil Hance has done a redo there. And I I think you'll see, you know, it just opened this week. You should see some great results in terms of more options uh, that will be helpful for the Ryder Cup cause. And uh, 37L, where are we going? Congressional, Congressional. Blue. Yes, after Andrew Green's significant redo of what Reese Jones had done, of what his father had done, of what Devereux Emmett had done. Um, Okay, what I could say for San Francisco is the media love it. It's a great city to be on an expense account and be in San Francisco and probably have fairly nice weather in late September. Washington, D.C., another really good expense account city and congressional is a fantastic storied venue in the shadows of our nation's capital kind of worthy of a Ryder Cup if you will um when the President's Cup got started it went to a nearby course that was almost equal in stature if modern which was the Robert Trent Jones Golf Club in Virginia and um and that was a a worthy venue in and of itself so Congressional Blue actually drew kind of mixed reviews when it hosted the uh women the KPGM women's PGA and um you'll you'll fix those letters for me uh K-P-M-G-W-P-G-M. whatever that fine
0: thank you yeah
1: yeah yeah <laughs> uh, there's a lot there's a big alphabet in there with the sponsor and then the LPGA um a lot of locals didn't love all the trees that were removed uh some very severe deep bunkers by the same token, again, pretty cool hilly setting in the shadows of our nation capital, so um, that's what I've got for you on the upcoming venues, and hey, let's bring on Italy, shall we?
0: Sounds good. Yeah, I don't know that any of those future venues, uh, the most of them would be first-timers other than Hazeltine, will be able to topple Whistling Straits. It's going to take a, a mighty fight for that to happen, but Hey, maybe they'll produce a good competition. Maybe twenty thirty one will slide in something uh, the old course, perhaps. Um, I don't know. Something something really intriguing could happen with those other two slots that are open uh, in Europe. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we just
1: think? were you know both both Jeff Shackelford and I have lobbied in the pages of Links Magazine to get a Ryder Cup at the Old Course. Our colleague George Peppers certainly agrees. Just held a totally stirring Walker Cup. And really, that's all there is left. In my lifetime, watching golf is get a Ryder Cup to St. Andrews. The town knows how to throw a party for a big tournament. And why not go to the ultimate match play course?
0: It's an absolute home run. Like, I, I don't understand the argument against it, but, you know just to get somebody else in there, get some history at another place. So yeah, we'll see. Otherwise, thanks Joe for, for the conversation.
1: We shall see Al. Thank you very much for the conversation. And, uh, we will do this again soon. Sounds good. And, uh, who are you picking the U S or Europe?
0: The easy answer is Europe because it's, um, it's unseen. I think they've got some, uh, I think the last Ryder Cup left a bad taste in their mouth and uh the Americans I think can go in there pretty cocky uh after what happened last time. So I I don't know. I just I think at a place that no one has really seen there can be a, a European advantage there. So I if I had if I was a betting man Joe, I would pick Europe.
1: I think that's a fair assessment. And um so why don't I straddle the fence with a 14 14 tie
0: <laughs> the third tie in Ryder cup history is coming this week you heard it here first